Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good afternoon, or good night, good morning, whenever the heck you you may be listening to this. It is Thursday, my dudes, Thursday, August 26 2021 this is the north side Sox podcast uh, my name is janice scurrio with me as always is sam sherman sam how the heck are you i am pretty good uh definitely a little little pep in my step that the white Sox were able to not blow a seven run lead uh in that game that just ended uh, a few minutes ago but uh, yeah i'm doing well feeling good <laughs> Woof. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, what feels like might be our 50th episode of Northside Sucks. I'm sure that's wildly inaccurate, but it feels like we've recorded so many episodes. Uh, anyway, uh, if you hadn't listened to our prior episode, it was with Sean Evans of Hot Ones. Uh, if you hadn't listened to that, like, what the heck is wrong with you, first of all? Uh, listen to that episode. It was a really fun conversation. Uh, So one brief thing uh, before we get to introducing today's guest, Uh, it's been one year since Lucas Giolito's no-hitter, and it was kind of Lucas Giolito's no-hitter that birthed this podcast. Uh, So essentially uh, that night was the night that I met Sam in person. So uh, the history of Northside Sox is it's it's definitely a story of friendship. Uh, Sam and I met and we just decided that we were vibing so well, we decided to talk about a podcast where we could complain about the White Sox and everything that made us so incredibly angry and so incredibly happy about this team that we both love at the same time. Uh, but anyway, uh, that goes into our theme of friendship for today. Uh, joining us today on the podcast is a great friend of mine, someone that I am have proud to met proud to have met through baseball Twitter. Uh, so she is a writer at Bleed Cubby Blue. Our sisters, our SB Nation sister site, uh, co-host of the podcast Cup of Cubby Blue, and she's also a writer at Fangraphs, doing super cool stuff there. Uh, we have Sarah Sanchez joining us. Sarah, how are you? I am great. I am jealous that you have such a cool backdrop outside in the sun while I am sitting, <laughs> doing the like transition from day job to baseball job in my apartment thing. So please enjoy the sun vicariously for me, Janice. I have not gotten nearly enough of it today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I I definitely have not burst into flames uh, because I I too am actually transitioning from my day job into my, my night job, my night baseball job. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, being able to crawl out of my technology hole uh, to uh, essentially have the sun gently graze my face and and talk to you two about baseball is perhaps uh, the best part of my day. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, we're here to talk about uh, a little uh, series that's happening this weekend. Uh, the Cubs and White Sox are playing each other for the second time, this time around at uh, the G-Rate, uh, Guaranteed Rate Field. It's essentially part two of the Crosstown Classic. Now, we won't get too much into it, but the White Sox did sweep the Cubs at Wrigley uh, last month. Uh, but anyway, uh, Sam and I before we were talking about, before you jumped on, Sarah, about how uh, the Crosstown rivalry nowadays definitely feels a little bit different. Uh, in my opinion, it feels as if there's really not much of a rivalry there. I know there's kind of an intense history between the Cubs and the White Sox, definitely a little bit more of a territorial type thing. Uh, but nowadays, it definitely feels a lot more friendly. Uh, so I wanted to get your opinion on it and uh, your current thoughts about the Cubs-White Sox rivalry. See, and I thought you were going to say that the Cubs and White Sox rivalry doesn't feel all there because the Cubs are just not holding up their end of being competitive for this rivalry at all, which would be a totally valid thing to say, given what has transpired since the trade deadline. You know, I, I know that I'm not speaking for the entirety of the Cubs or White Sox fan base here, but I think that part of this has to do with there's a lot of Cubs fans, including myself, who grew up somewhere else. So I grew up in Utah. I'm a Cubs fan because I wa could watch them on WGN. I moved to Chicago like six years ago. And frankly, the whole North side, South side thing is not part of my history at all. I like going to games. At, you, you called it the G-rate. Is that right? I still call it the part formerly known as the cell. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I, I, I prefer that. <laughs> um, but like, I, I like going to games on the south side i like aloy jimenez i like lucas giolito frankly you all have not just a better baseball team at the moment you also have always had better food and beer at that baseball park than you can get at wrigley field and it's one of my pet peeves that the uh front office for the cubs has basically decided that since they have a historic landmark that they don't need to do anything interesting like elotes or craft beer please get on that it's one of those things you should fix so i you know i'm obviously cheering for the Cubs. I'm always cheering for the Cubs, but I like this White Sox team and I'm, I'm having a really hard time getting upset that Tim Anderson is doing good things because who doesn't want good things for Tim Anderson? But, but Sarah, That's the next one point you bring up, yeah. The Ivy. What about the Ivy? <laughs> the Ivy is awesome. They, they definitely should keep the Ivy. The bricks are cool. The marquee is great. Not looking to change the scoreboard or anything. I just think it would be sweet. You know, you all have that craft beer cave Mm -hmm. down in the right field corner. I would like a craft beer cave at Wrigley. I don't know where they can put it. Maybe they can find room in their new sports book. Um, but <laughs> they should they should absolutely have a place where I can sample the delicious craft brews that Chicago is known for. My friends who are beer people are always telling me how jealous they are that I live in Chicago and then I go to Cubs games. And if I'm lucky, I can find the one little kiosk that happens to have an interesting beer that way. I've actually noticed that too. And having gone to a handful of Cubs games uh, just within the past couple of years, I've noticed that the amount of selections has become a little scarce. Uh, I, I noticed a few years ago, even they had a beer from Broken Bat Brewing, uh, which is one of my favorite breweries in Milwaukee. Uh, they also had some really pretty collections pollution uh off color brewing i think also had a task uh, at wrigley as well uh, but now i'm not seeing those anymore it seems as if your options are old style which i mean not to knock old style i, I appreciate a, a, an old-fashioned old style every once in a while uh but yeah i would really love to see more so like indie beers and, and just stuff that you wouldn't be able to find uh, anywhere uh, so uh, typically uh my go-to before any cub game now is to just stop off at nise and, and have a couple uh a couple of Chicago handshakes, maybe, and then after that, branch out to um, an off-color brew uh, or, uh, yeah, um, a Summer of 54. Uh, they've got that on draft, too. Uh, but, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that it seems as if Wrigley Field has gotten a lot more uh, corporate over the past just two years. And, I don't know, being an outsider myself uh, to the whole Cubs scene, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it definitely feels as if it, 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 it doesn't feel as authentic as it did before. But. No, I mean, it was one thing like, you know, the old style should always be there and that's great. And who does, like you said, who doesn't love an old style? But I do think that they could do a better job of highlighting partnerships with some of the local breweries, bringing some people in. They did an awesome thing a couple of seasons ago 
at Wrigley um, where they had the chef series and there was like a pop-up every homestand starting in June or May. There was like a pop-up from one of the local chefs who would create ballpark themed food. So you'd have like a Graham Elliott pop-up or a Stephanie mm-hmm. Izard pop-up or whatever. That was awesome. Yeah. They should do that more. Yeah. yeah. And they should do that consistently. I think that with the pandemic shortened season followed by they didn't know how many fans they would have. They didn't know if it would be a full season. They kind of punted on a lot of things at Wrigley this year. For example, there have been like no giveaways at Wrigley Field this year. I got a U Darvish bobble. They're not. I got a U Darvish bobblehead when the Padres came to town because they had, they must have ordered them for last season. Oh, yeah, and you had yeah. to like go, but to get the U Darvish bobblehead, you had to buy at least a $50 Cubs charity half and half ticket. And then you could take your proof of receipt over to this corner of Gallagher way. And they would give you a U Darvish bobblehead. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I'll support Cubs charities, but how can you not have any giveaways for an entire season? Like that's bananas. Okay. I guess they did a Craig Kimbrell Chia pet or Chia head thing, but he's not there anymore either. So it's just wild to me that they're not even say, doing giveaways. Yeah. Can we have the rest of those Chia pets? Uh, yeah, I, we'll I take them. Uh, for me, one of the uh, one of the the big blows to Wrigleyville was when they got rid of uh, the Taco Bell there, which, for my money, was simultaneously the maybe the worst Taco Bell ever, and also my favorite. Uh, how those two things can exist, I'm not really sure, and it's hard to explain. Um, but uh, yeah, when that went away, uh, I feel like I don't. What's there now? Is anything? What's taken its place? Is it like a? I don't even know. It's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's like a big three-story building there that's going to have a rock climbing gym. But I think the Taco Bell has a kiosk in the basement. Like there's like the Taco Bell is back. I've heard rumors about the Taco Bell. I have to confess that I am not a Taco Bell person. I, I, I've never been, I have never eaten at a Taco Bell. I consider that a point of pride. I don't consider it Mexican food. I'm angry at the existence of Taco Bell. Um, but I have heard rumors that the Taco Bell is back in the building that used to be, that is on the land that used to be the Taco Bell where there will okay. be a rock climbing gym someday. Okay. Well, you know, maybe they'll, I don't know if, uh, if it's one of the ones that's going to serve alcohol or something, but uh, I'll have to maybe check that out. <laughs> For a minute, I thought you were going to say that they installed a plaque where the Taco Bell used to be, like a historic landmark type thing. I mean, as, as someone who used to attend a lot of like punk shows at the Metro, like kind of in the early 2000s, uh, just removed from baseball, that Taco Bell has a lot of significance for me. So even just like like any sort of recognition towards that Taco Bell's contribution to the Chicago music scene, I, I think would be absolutely just monumental there. <laughs> they could have put a plaque that said like that in whatever year Sam waited one hour in this drive through for like three tacos. <laughs> and I... Yeah. And I and I really did that. Um, but uh... Yes, it was here in 2003 after a plain white tea show. Janice waited for three soft shell tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like people should just go to the space where the old Taco Bell used to be and take those selfies and caption them on yes. their own. Because you are far from the only people that I've heard uh, fond and yet awful memories of that Taco Bell from. And frankly, I, I'm kind of surprised there isn't a plaque there for that. The Cubs are super into giving themselves plaque these, plaques these days. They gave themselves two the other day when they had a like ceremony about how they saved Wrigley Field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and frankly, like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's a little tone deaf to sell off your World Series core and try to convince us that we should be as excited about Frank Schwindel as we were about Anthony Rizzo, and then give yourself multiple oh, plaques. God. But you do you, Ricketts. So, so Sarah, I've got to ask you, kind of on that point. You know, if you looking back uh, earlier in the season, like the Cubs, even much further in the season than I was expecting, were still very much in uh, the race and still very much, you know, a contender. I didn't, I don't know how how much people thought that was really sustainable or not, or or if 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 there were if if you were kind of sitting there thinking, well, it doesn't matter because this is the the path that that Hoyer is going to take no matter what, but. A lot's, a lot's changed, obviously. Um, like you mentioned, Schwindel is there. Patrick Wisdom, I think, is the best player on the No, Rafael Ortega would have to be probably the best player on the team right now. Uh, unless I'm missing someone. 
You are forgetting Wilson Contreras, who is my oh, all-time yeah. favorite player. Wilson but, Contreras how could you, Sam? There. How could you? Well, isn't he is he still hurt? I think he's Yeah, he is on, on the, the 10-day IL. I think he's okay. eligible to come off the IL tomorrow. And I hope they do that because nobody hits White Sox pitching like Wilson Contreras. And he had an unbelievable bat flip too uh against the White Sox. I, I don't was that last year or yeah, where he threw his bat it into was. orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The- and so yes, I'm sorry, continue. I was just going to say the best part of that bat flip is that you all have the same ad campaign that Wrigley Field does with the like powering up Chicago, the electrical workers like logo or whatever that they do. And that bat flip was perfectly timed. So like as it's circling high above the park formerly known as the cell, you could see in the background powering Chicago. So it's just like bat flips powering Chicago. It was was pretty incredible. I, I, so like, I guess though on that, like going off of that, where were you when when this when the Cubs were still in the race and they were still would have absolutely been considered a contender? Where was where were you at as as someone that covers the team and as a fan and and um you know did you think that that was that that was sustainable or did did you were you kind of more on the side of of understanding the the sort of harsh reality that was down the pipe? So what's interesting about this team, and I've been saying since a show that we did in 2019, my friend Danny Rocket does these live podcast shows periodically throughout the season. And there was a show that we did the final week of 2019. um, And I got asked this question and I said, this is not a 80 win team. It is a 90 plus win team or a 70 win team. And the reason is because even as far back as then, if the team wasn't in contention, they were primed to be sellers, not buyers, that those contracts were expiring. They didn't look like they were getting extensions done. And so it always sort of seemed to me that if the Cubs found themselves in a situation where they were like a 500-ish team, they were going to sell. That was true in 20, like at the end of 2019 into the 2020 season. They didn't get to act on that because the short 2020 season, the Cubs actually started red hot. They started 13 and three, and then they couldn't sell because they were in first place. Um, frankly, it would have been true this year too. And I think that if the Cubs had been six or seven games up of the Brewers at the trade deadline, they would have held pat. They would not have sold off a first place team, even with some of those contracts expiring. The problem is that, the front office really hamstrung the core in terms of maintaining anything like a competitive team. Uh, if you trade you Darvish and Victor Caratini for a bunch of teenagers who might play in 2024 someday and one year of Zach Davies, you are pulling the rug out from underneath your ability to be a competitive team. If you turn Kyle Schwarber, who is finally realizing his, I might be the next coming of David Ortiz upside off the team and try to replace him with Jack Peterson and sell that to fans as an equivalent move. You are not setting this team up for success. You're setting the team up with as many one-year contracts as possible that you can flip at the deadline because you're not entirely sure there will be a 2022 season because of the CBA. So this team was always set up to not be as good as they had been in 2020. And then Jed acted all like, oh my gosh, well, you know, we just couldn't get these deals done and these guys just wouldn't take the very fair extensions that we offered. And so we just had to trade them away. And when you look at what these extensions are, you can understand why they didn't take them. And, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth here and none of us know how many conversations there were between Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer's front offices and Scott Boris. But when Chris Bryant goes to the media and says there haven't been extension talks since 2017, and the 2017 offer, if I recall correctly, was for like 10 years, 240 million, which of course Chris Ooh. Bryant off an MVP year is not going to take. Might have been 250 million, but that's not the deal you get Chris Bryant for. Let's do a more recent one that people can probably fact check more readily. The Anthony Rizzo extension was rumored to be five years, 70 million. That's asking your all-star first baseman, heart of the team, to take a cut and pay off the 16.5 million you're paying him on the back end of a team-friendly deal he already signed for you now. So those are not offers that they should have expected Rizzo or Baez or Bryant to take. They didn't take those offers. It doesn't sound like there were extensive talks. And yeah, I guess that they probably would have held on to them if they hadn't set them up to not be a competitive team at the outset of 2021. It is frankly incredible that they were able to maintain their position in first place as long as they did until June 24th and the combo no hitter against the Dodgers. Yeah. I'm sorry, Janice. Oh, uh, I was 
about to say, yeah, I, I definitely do not blame Rizzo for rejecting any sort of extension mm-hmm. like that because, um, yeah, like you mentioned before, the team that or, or, or the, the deal that he was already on in the first place was already team friendly. So, uh, yeah, I certainly don't blame him for rejecting that. And, yeah, it all just seems as if the Cubs really didn't have any interest in keeping that core around. And it all seems as if it's also just more so in the name of profit than anything. So, uh, just, just as an outsider looking in, like I, I get upset say, on your behalf, just being like, if, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm absolutely furious at this. Um, just mainly because as White Sox fans, we've had to deal with our fair share of rebuilds, um, to see our, our favorite players get like just torn from our arms. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, anyway, uh, there are many reasons why the White Sox have been driving us absolutely mad lately. And so, Sam, before we jumped on this call, we were just talking about, um, I don't think there's ever been a first-place White Sox team that's been as absolutely maddening as this one. It seems as if the offense is very feast or famine. Uh, there's plenty of issues with the bullpen, and there's been plenty of finger-pointing, uh, whether it's like Tony Larusa or the bats going hot or – Yoan Moncada not being able to hit fastballs. Uh, and perhaps, like, my big thing lately is uh, this use, or I guess I should say misuse, of Michael Kopech, where, in my opinion, I feel as if Michael Kopech needs more innings, especially if he's going to be used as a starter down the road. Uh, he uh, needs to start getting uh, those innings in now. Uh, so right now we're only seeing him, like, barely, like, maybe once every other game uh today i actually didn't watch today's game since i was at work but it sounds as if uh he did not do too well um but uh anyway uh brief bullpen discussion sam your your thoughts on what's going on here yeah i mean it's like every game it seems like there's a balance of figuring out or an imbalance of is it the is it the bullpen is it the the pitchers is it the mismanagement or, you know, management versus the players just underperforming? It's, it's sort of hard to say. We were just talking before we, we started recording about um, basically this, this idea that uh, you've got, you know, Craig Kimbrell who had his first save. I think it was his first save in a White Sox uniform today um, because he's really been today. coming in. Yeah. He's come in in uh, the eighth inning a lot more and, and sort of in a setup role. And, you know, that's one that I've had a hard time with because he, you know, he's a guy who's going to be in Cooperstown and it's going to say he's a closer because that's what he's done his entire career. Um, you know, the, is it a valid argument to say, well, he's, he should be good enough to be a, to come in in any situation? I mean, sure. But if it's not working, then you got to put him in his role. And, and I think that Liam Hendricks has shown to be more versatile in the sense of, you know, he's been very outspoken about that. He said, I'll come in any, I'll pitch as many innings as you want. I'll, you know, come in in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever you need. Um, and I'm not saying that Kimbrell hasn't been because he's, he has, he's gone in and he's pitched um, in setup situations and situations outside of that closing role, but it really hasn't worked. Um, we've seen his numbers in the ninth compared to outside of the ninth. Um, it's pretty staggering. It's, it's small sample size because yeah. he doesn't really pitch out outside of the ninth. The Cubs were not utilizing him that in that role. Um because they were using him as a closer. But again, it, it's just to say that I don't know if it's the mismanagement or if it's the uh, the pitchers themselves, but it has been um, something that's it's concerning because come October, you know, people say, just get to October, just get to October, just get to October. And I'm sort of sitting here thinking, well, I'm not so comfortable with that because these are decisions. We're getting really close to October, uh, all things considered. And um, it's hard to just, you know, trust that, all of a sudden these guys are going to be pitching much better or that Tony will be making better bullpen decisions come that time. I think I saw some ridiculous stat lines saying that Craig Kimbrell's ERA in the eighth inning is somewhere in the eights. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was just something absolutely ridiculous. And so I, I guess like my concern uh, was uh, when I heard that the White Sox were going to acquire Kimbrell, um, a lot of folks were saying that he was going to be used as a setup man. And I'm like, what, Really? Like you're going to acquire this lights out closer who's just been absolutely just has electric stuff and you're going to force him to set up for 
um, another elite closer. Uh, I was kind of hoping that, or it, it was my assumption at least, that Kimbrell would be used on nights that Hendricks was unavailable. So therefore, uh, yeah, uh, you've got this guy who can slam the door pretty much every day of the week. And that's essentially like how Kimbrell was used when he was on the Cubs, um, essentially just coming in that ninth inning. Um, but yeah, today uh, he pitched the ninth and lo and behold, uh, he <laughs> actually did very well. Uh, so I'm really happy that experiment has worked out so far. Uh, but now, uh, going back to the Kim trade, a lot of White Sox fans, uh, well, not me, uh, were a little sad to see Madrigal go, but, uh, I'm curious, uh, Sarah, as to, uh, where Nick Madrigal fits into the Cubs future. Uh, wh wh where do you see him? Uh, like coming in and uh, say, uh, w what are some things that uh, you uh, you like about him? Before I get to Nick Madrigal, and it's funny that you're like, not me, because uh, there's a hand, <laughs> there's a subset of Cubs Twitter that is very much like Nick Nick Madrigal. Really, that's that's your answer. Um, I, I will get to that. Um, the Kimbrel thing is really interesting because Kimbrel, I've been watching Kimbrel a lot. I my second team is the Red Sox, so I've watched a lot of Craig Kimbrel. And Kimbrel to me is like always on this very fine line of like effective or not effective. And when he's effective, he is getting a lot of whiffs on that curveball because people are people can't di differentiate it from the fastball, and then he strikes you out with that fastball that's got a little bit of rise on it, and it's I mean it's just a devastating combo, right? But if he's off a little bit, if, if batters are able to distinguish between the curve and the fastball because they can see it because his slot's out, out of alignment a little bit, or if he's just not fooling anybody with it, he is a very, very hittable pitcher all of a sudden. And in 2018 with the Red Sox, uh, as they went down the stretch, Kimbrell kind of lost it a little bit. And he didn't wind up closing for them in a lot of October situations. I was surprised to see the White Sox not using him as a closer this year, only because he, ha he has been, this is the best season of his career and it's a Hall of Fame career. So I know that Hendricks is great, but like the Agreed. best season of a guy who's yeah. going to the Hall of Fame strikes me as a thing you should utilize the way it is supposed yes. to be utilized. And and we already know he doesn't do well with you messing with him. So just don't mess with him, Tony. Yeah. Just let Kimbrell do exactly. his thing. Yeah. Let Kimbrell be exactly. Kimbrell like and win games. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, like, don't, yeah, don't fix what's like not broken and don't further break what's, what's like not broken. Right. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> the Madrigal thing is fascinating to me. So I can see where Madrigal fits onto this Cubs team in one sense. They are not a very high contact, not like team. They strike out a ton. Uh, Patrick Wisdom, who somebody mentioned, I think Sam mentioned earlier has a lot of home runs. He leads NL rookies and home runs with 21. And he's done that over substantially fewer plate appearances than most other NL rookies. At the same time, his strikeout rate when I looked earlier today was 39.8%, which does not seem particularly sustainable for a major league future. Um, Madrigal, you know, gives them a guy who gets a lot of singles. He gets on base a lot. That's something that the Cubs have struggled with since Benzo since probably Ben Zobrist was on the team. The problem is that the other guy the Cubs have who kind of has that profile is also a second baseman, Nico Horner. And so you kind of wonder, yes. it's like, is one of these guys going to become a shortstop? Like, is Nico going to play some outfield? I, I don't know. I don't know why they're collecting slap hitting second baseman. It, it doesn't strike me as a particularly great move. I, it doesn't strike me as a team that has a plan for the short term. I'm like, I Nico has played some short. He's not like a Javi Baez or Tim Anderson shortstop. He's a Nico Horner shortstop. He's like a much worse defensive shortstop. Um, one of the things that if you watch the Cubs recently, you know, they just had one of their longest losing streaks of all time and their longest home losing streak of all time. And uh, some fans may be curious, like, I mean, admittedly, they just lost a bunch of players. And so, of course, they're not as good. But one of the reasons that the team is so much harder to watch right now is they have built a pitching staff that is a contact-based pitching staff. And they got away with that when they had Javier Baez at shortstop and Anthony Rizzo at first base, just robbing stuff all over the place, right? If you downgrade your defense and you have a contact-based pitching staff, all of a sudden, those are hits because they get through holes yep. that worst defenders can't cover. And so Cubs fans are seeing that a lot these days. And I don't know why anybody thinks Nico, Nick Madrigal is the answer to that. I almost just called him Nico Madrigal. That's how <laughs> interchangeable <laughs> those two are in my mind. Um, 
Cody Hoyer is more interesting to me. I, I saw the Cubs use him a couple of times in late game high leverage situations, and he did quite well. Uh, and I think that Cody Hoyer has a pretty good future as a strong bullpen piece for the Cubs, regardless of what happens with Madrigal. Yeah, the Hoyer component. Yeah, I noticed was... that his numbers. Uh... I was just say that oh, the sorry, Hoyer component. No, that's okay. Um, the Hoyer component to me was was interesting because if they if that if you were to tell me like last season that they were going to um, put Hoyer and Madrigal in a trade package together, I would be thinking, oh, wow, this must be a pretty big return. And I mean, it, and it was obviously, um, but it's, it's interesting because the, how Hoyer, like, cause last season Hoyer just looked pretty like unhittable uh, this season, obviously um, he struggled a little bit with the White Sox. It was nice to see when he went over the North side, it looked like he cleaned up some stuff. He was looking sharp. Cause I mean, as you, as you know, I mean, the stuff is there um, and he's still so young Um but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. I think that, I mean, I, I was talking, Janice and I were talking before, before the show earlier, just about the fact that like, I think like I'm accepting the fact that Nick Madrigal might, you know, he may very well be a very solid, you know, 300 plus hitter for several years in the major leagues. Um, but I don't know that he, and that's, that's valuable. Obviously there's value there. Um, but without, great defense and without really able be, being able to move him off of, off of second base and without a whole lot of power, um, it is sort of limiting. Um, especially like you said, it seems very redundant having, um, him and, and Horner, the, the Nico Horner, uh, combination. <laughs> the Nico Madrigal combo is, Nico, yeah, it's going to be, sorry, be interesting. Nico Horner is his name. The Nick Horner. <laughs> the and, Nick Horner, Nico Madrigal. Yes. Duo. Dynamic duo at second. I have a friend who refers to that frequently as um, just going the Ryan Terrio route at second base. And I think Nick Madrigal is better than Ryan Terrio. Yeah. I think Nico Horner is also better than Ryan Terrio. But Cubs fans do not have fond memories of, you know, diving Ryan Terrio and slap hits. Um, so we'll see how that works out. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Nick Madrigal uh, – the most I can say about him, fantastic two-strike hitter. Uh, hit two home runs this year, which, I mean, I think might have been the most improbable thing to happen to Nick Madrigal uh, mm -hmm. beyond just being being traded to the Cubs. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I was not a huge fan of his defense, like you mentioned, Sarah, uh, and I was also not a huge fan of his base running skills either. Uh, but uh, otherwise, all in all, I, I was a huge fan of the trade. Um I'll be a bigger fan of the trade when Tony Larusa keeps using Craig Kimbrell as a closer, as God intended. <laughs> yes, yes, we are all hoping yes. for that. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that's yeah. and again, it just kind of goes back to this idea, like that. I don't know, it, like, is there any reason analytically that Craig Craig Kimbrell can't get the same job done in the eighth as he as he always has have in the ninth? I don't I don't know. Maybe there's a number out there that would show that. But it's almost like I don't care if Craig Kimbrell feels the most comfortable in the ninth inning as he always has. Um, that's where he should be, and uh, you know if they're winning games with the combination of Hendricks and Kimbrell, um, Hendricks in the eighth, Kimbrell in the ninth, and then if they need to swap out for whatever reason, uh, I don't know. It's just I give it to the I, I lean to the Hall of Famer over the very good Liam Hendricks, but not necessarily with the same track record. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I keep on interrupting you, Sam. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. No, you go. No, 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 you go. No, you go. Yeah, we, we pretty much do this every every podcast. <laughs> it's a truly Midwestern show, uh, Northside Sox podcast, especially these sort Sox. Of like, uh, if, if we don't say, oh, sorry, like at least twice during this podcast show, then, then what are we even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> So Janice, I, I really liked when you were kind of going over some of the stuff um, pre pre show that to talk about. I liked one of the things to kind of round out this Sox Cubs crosstown conversation, even though the rivalry is. So I'm I'm a former uh, big time Cub hater. Uh, I grew up in a Cub hating household. It was the cliche, you know, Sox win, Cubs win is a good day. Sox win, Cubs lose is a great day. Blah blah blah. Um, I. Interestingly, when they went after the Cubs won the World Series and the sun and I woke up and the sun was up and everything was, you know, fine is when I actually became um, far less of a Cub hater because I was basically just like, you know what, I there's people that I'm really happy for that this happened to. Uh, and 
you know, just in terms of Cub fans and, and family friends and friends of mine that I knew were, you know, big fans and all that. Um, and then it, it, I just, it didn't become as interesting to me to, to, yeah. to, to hate the Cubs. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But all of that said, uh, Janice, we were you, something that you had proposed was sort of talking about um, sharing some sh- sharing some things about what do we like about the Cubs, what is Sarah like about the White Sox, um, you know, to kind of get some of those good vibes heading into this this weekend series. Uh, so, Janice, how about how about you start out? What are some things that you uh, enjoy about our Northside friends? <laughs> So, uh, even though I was the one who wrote this question, like I actually was like thinking really hard. And so, uh, just to get this uh, this this kind of hubris out of the way, some of the things that I dislike about the Cubs are the same things that Sarah mentioned. That essentially uh, the Ricketts uh, just dismantling uh, this core of like like people's favorite players just in the name of saving money. Uh, so I, I honestly just. Uh, I don't, I don't know if feeling bad is the right term for it, but I, I'm just like secondhand angry at the fact that they would even do this. So, I mean, beyond that, I don't necessarily agree with like how the Cubs are being run. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy Wrigley Field. I, I do enjoy catching games there. Uh, I, I, the number of times I've been there, I've always had a good time. Uh, I also, yeah, I, I love walking around the area too. Uh, like I mentioned before, Nisei Lounge is perhaps one of my favorite bars. Uh, and also, too, uh, I also just really love um, just, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say that um, it's not necessarily the, the culture, but it's really more so how everyone is just like really happy to be there. And that there, there always seems to be some sort of just like happy vibe at Wrigley Field. And I, and I think that's awesome. I think that's great. Uh, but otherwise, uh, some of the players that I've loved watching on the Cubs, I know we, we brought up Patrick Wills has been quite a bit. I think he's a fantastic story. Uh, I, I think he's a fantastic power hitter. Uh, he's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, other than that, uh, I think uh, Kyle Hendricks is a really fun pitcher to watch too. But uh, yeah, like I like like Sarah mentioned before, uh, some of the guys that that have been left, some of the guys that have been kind of marketed towards us to be excited about, like Frank Schwindel, like what the hell, like what? <laughs> but other than that. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of the sense that uh, as White Sox fans, we've been through just handfuls of rebuilds and like we've been told season through and season seasons over and over that, oh, you know, the rebuild is over, right? Like everything is like, like, like we can expect to get to the promised land this year and like uh, years, years after years pass and it feels as if that's almost kind of like, I don't know, a lie, uh, but uh, yeah, just kind of having watched so many rebuilds through my my, my White Sox fan eyes, uh, I, I, I can most certainly commiserate uh, with this past uh, trade deadline uh, for, for y'all. But uh, anyway, uh, Sam, I'll pass it on to you. What, like, what, what do you appreciate about our Northside friends? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was thinking about this question uh, a good amount as well. And uh, this is going to sound maybe like a, like a, a cop out here, but I actually um, do enjoy Wrigley Field uh, as a concert venue. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, my, my favorite place to see concerts is in clubs or bars, but outside of that, if you're talking about a stadium or, a, a, a you know, ballpark or whatever, um, in the couple of concerts that I've seen at Wrigley, I think they do a really good job hosting shows. It's a, it's a really beautiful backdrop. Um, and, uh, the sound is very good too. That's going to sound like I'm really trying to avoid saying anything, you know, about the team or whatever, but honestly, it's, it's, I, I do 
appreciate um, how a lot of the fans have, after the really, really hard uh, strat, you know, uh, trade deadline of, of them, you know, of, of Cub fans losing, you know, that core that, that brought them that, uh, that World Series in 2016. That's that's a hard thing to go through, Janice. You mentioned before we we had sort of a little bit. We didn't have the World Series, but uh, in terms of the guys like Chris Sale and, and saying goodbye to Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and those names. Um, but I respect the fact that Cub fans kind of after sort of seeing the a lot of people sort of seeing through the process and seeing that it will get very challenging. But um, I do think that Jed Hoyer is uh, a very smart baseball person. Uh, and I think that, uh, that there is a plan there. And I think that after they traded Darvish, um, even though they sort of flirted with contention this season, um, I think that Hoyer always kind of knew what he was going to do, but I think that's okay. And I think that as ugly as it might get uh, for the North Siders in the you know, uh, win, win-loss column over the next few seasons, I do think that um, there's a plan there. And I think that uh, they've got a good, um, not ownership, but I think that that front office is, is uh, doing the right things. I will totally agree that Jed Hoyer is a smart baseball person. I am glad one of us believes that he has a plan. I, I believe that he has multiple plans personally. Um, my thought is that Jed Hoyer has like five or six different plans and he's going to operationalize one of them once he knows what the results of the collective bargaining agreement negotiations in December are. And I appreciate that. I also wish he would stop pretending that he knows exactly what he's doing right now because on, I, I think that they have set themselves up for maximum flexibility with a new CBA. They have some interesting young talent, mostly in AA and lower in the farm system, and they should just be transparent with fans that that's where they're at. And it's probably – they fans probably shouldn't get super excited about some big contract in 2022 or maybe even 2023. Like the big free agent signings are probably a year or two away at least. Um, in terms of things I like about the White Sox, it is not just the food, although the lotes are the single best ballpark food in America that I have ever had. Yes. And I have been to a lot of baseball parks. The lotes are fire. They're so good. If you've been to a White Sox game and you've never had a lotes, what are you even doing? Just stop and fix that immediately. Um, I have two things that I want to name in this section. People, actually, not things. They are they are human beings. Uh, the first is Aloy Jimenez is wonderful. He is outstanding, and his joy about playing baseball is everything. And you mentioned the Quintana trade, which I imagine must have been a sad day for Sox fans. I remember I was walking back from my lunch break, and I was on LaSalle, and I – a friend of mine texted me uh, about the trade and my heart stopped because I knew Aloy had to be in that deal. And I was heartbroken because Aloy is amazing. He has everything good about baseball, the way that he approaches the game, the way that he plays the game is fun. I don't know if you all saw this. Um, I actually screenshot it because I was watching his debut back when he came back or I was watching, it might not be, not have even been his debut. It was one of the early games when he came back, but his first hit after he came back from the IL, it was just like a single, but he's standing on first base, grinning like a little leaguer with his arms up in the air, like Rocky. And I was just like, <laughs> how can you not love Aloy Jimenez? He is so fun and just pure joy and everything that the game of baseball should be. He hits absolute bombs. He's funny. He's likable. Aloy Jimenez is great. I want him to win a ring. And if it has to be with the White Sox, then so be it. I will cheer for that. And that will be fun. Second person who I absolutely adore that the White Sox have is Jason Benetti, who I think is probably the best announcer in baseball. I love listening to Jason Benetti talk about baseball every time they do the ESPN StatCast broadcast. I'm so excited that I get to hear him for a day. I think the game he called with Bill Walton between the White Sox and the Angels might yeah. be my single favorite game that has ever been called of baseball. And if you've not gone back I, and watched I don't this, think I'll ever forget that. Start to finish, stop and go do that because it is mm -hmm. honestly, Bill Walton is kind of crazy. Like he is, he's just going off and saying all these random things. And Jason Benetti is not only informative, but he's like the perfect straight man yeah. to the, absolute wildness that is going on with Bill Walton as Bill Walton discovers things like, I don't know, suicide squeezes and stuff. Um, <laughs> it's fun. And I loved it. And Jason Benetti is great. And I was really glad he got to do some Olympics work this year. Mm -hmm. I am excited. I'm excited every time a national audience gets to listen to him. And I think we should consider ourselves lucky that we have such incredible broadcast crews in Chicago. You're, you're totally right yeah, on Benetti. I and it makes oh me uh, want to just say, really quickly because I had forgotten this one, but Pat Hughes for my money is as good as it, as it 
gets in in baseball broadcasting as well. Um, and I for for work uh, pre pandemic, I was would travel. I'd be on the road a lot, and I would always you know uh, I'd always try and you know even if if the Sox weren't playing and the Cubs were, I would try and tune in because I just love listening to Pat Hughes call baseball games. I think he's uh, um, just and you're right. This city has uh, probably I have to think the best. <laughs> the best broadcasting teams, both radio and TV um, uh, that, that you could possibly have. Pat Hughes is a national treasure and it is an absolute shame that that man has not won a Frick award. And so I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast can make Pat Hughes win a Frick award, but like we need to get on that because the man should be Mm -hmm. in the hall of fame. And the fact that he's not is is ridiculous. I I agree with you, Pat Hughes. Okay, so I have to share my favorite Pat Hughes thing, which uh, I listen for every single show, and it's not going to happen, but maybe one of these days Pat Hughes will hear me talk about this and he'll do it. They have a White Claw ad that they do at the start of every single game, and they're like, now would be a perfect time to grab your favorite flavor of White Claw's hard seltzer, and then he pauses and stops. I, I am dying and waiting for the day when Pat Hughes finishes that up with, there's no law when you're drinking the claw. Because I think that Pat Hughes saying that would be the funniest thing that's ever happened in sports. And I need that in my life. So Pat Hughes, please just add those words one time to the White Claw ad, please. I'm begging you. Is he on Cameo? We got to get him to do that. (laughs) That might be possible. (laughs) He was on our podcast uh, two off seasons ago. And listening to Pat Hughes talk about baseball on our podcast is one of the highlights of Cup of Cubby Blue. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I think I would just pass Sarah, out I, if I. I, I, <laughs> I <laughs> oh my god! I, I, I feel as if I don't know if this is like some sort of deja vu Mandela effect, but I feel as if you have told me the story before, um, just mainly about like Pat Hughes and White Claw, and just like like the two things coming together is like just bringing up all of these just like maybe repressed memories in my brain. <laughs> like, wait, it is- where have I heard this before? It is possible I told this story at Nisei when we were hanging out there with Mikey and I ordered a White Claw because every time I order a White Claw, I think about Pat Hughes saying, because I just, I just have it in my head and I know exactly what he would sound like saying it, but I need to hear it. I need to hear him say the words. I like that you can, I like that you can picture because I can do, yeah, if you, with especially like broadcast people that you listen to all the time and his, his voice specifically. Uh, that's that's very true. You can you can hear exactly, but you're right. Until he says it, it's just not going to be the same. One of these days, I will get Pat Hughes to say there's no law when you're drinking the claw. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about uh, this weekend's game, so I, I've heard just time and time again that uh, the White Sox pretty much have a lock on the AL Central uh, that. Uh, I haven't checked fan graphs lately, but their probability of making the playoffs, I think, is something at like 99.9999999%. So therefore, any games that the White Sox play from this point on forward um, are meaningless. And and I say that, you know, very facetiously, uh, just mainly because, like we mentioned earlier before on this podcast, there are still things that the team does that make all of us very, very angry. And a lot of these mistakes could definitely, if, if uh, the White Sox management does not learn from them, they could be very well like repeated into the postseason. So uh, given just the historic, I guess, backdrop of the Crosstown Classic, there was a, a point in time where these games were just exhibition. That these games like didn't necessarily really matter. So uh, I guess... Um, from my perspective, I am trying my best to perhaps maybe kind of sit back and re- relax and watch these games from a perspective uh, where I'm just like, okay, yeah, well, uh, maybe this is a time for us to uh, kind of sit back and appreciate what our team can do instead of saying like harping on like say what necessarily they can't do, like uh, have Craig Kimbrell pitch in the eighth inning. So I guess my question for you, Sarah, is like going into this weekend, um, like do you think that the Cubs have necessarily anything at stake or anything to prove uh, uh, given that I uh, say this this rivalry may not necessarily be a rivalry anymore well a couple of things so one I actually just looked at the MLB playoff odds on fan graphs for the White Sox because I was curious and there's a, something really odd going on with those today and I know how this probably oh, no. happened because of the way um 
those run like they are like they run like 10,000 simulations to figure out like what happens in all of these time periods and that's how you can get to things like it says that the White Sox have a 100% chance of winning the division for example right which means that 100% of the times out of the simulations run that's what you get or whatever but it currently says that they have a 100% chance to win the division and only a 99.9% .9 chance to make the playoffs which I'm sure is just a rounding error but also funny so I'm getting kind of a kick out of the fan grass odds at the moment and I'm probably going to screenshot this and put it on Twitter just because I think it's funny um the leave, second it, leave it to the White Sox to do that <laughs> leave it to them <laughs> exactly this is only the White Sox could pull this off right um but the second part of your question which is more interesting is the like what do the Cubs have to play for surprisingly a lot and I think that they're kind of a dangerous team for this reason Actually, I should say that slightly differently. They are a more dangerous team than people give them credit for for this reason. Um, there are a lot of guys on the Cubs who are like 29, 30-year-old dudes who are getting their very first shot at MLB. They would not get a shot in any other system. Like Frank Schwindel was just hanging out in the A system and got traded to the Cubs as part of I think it was I, – I, I think it might have been – part of the Andrew Chafin return. I might be wrong about that. They might've like just picked him up off waivers and then somebody else was part of the Andrew Chafin return. I honestly cannot remember. But the, the point is that these are a lot of guys who are playing for their shot at getting any kind of a look from any major league team, either next year or the Cubs or whoever, right? And so in that sense, there are a lot of guys who have, who they don't have anything to lose on the season for the team, but they have a lot to gain for themselves. Um, and so, you know, Rafael Ortega is somebody who, I mean, the Cubs just played the Rockies. He came up and got his MLB debut with the Rockies system in 2012. And he's hanging out. He's just finally getting a shot to play every day with the Chicago Cubs. Like, that is wild to me. Like, that's like one of those guys that's all, who's yeah, been that, that's wild. kind of your quintessential quad A player for so long for him to finally be getting his shot. And it turns out he's not only good, like he's got pretty solid defense. I've watched him make some plays in center and right that are impressive, but it turns out that he is a very good candidate for a platoon. Like he's a lefty bat and his, and his batting, his slash line against righties is not just good. It's like, he's got a WRC plus of 155 against right-handed pitching. Like that's, that plays, right? That plays everywhere. That's not, that's not like, Oh, it kind of plays. That's like, no, that that's a guy who should have a job. Um, Patrick Wisdom, who you mentioned, turns 30 tomorrow, so he will celebrate the Crosstown Classic on his 30th birthday, and he got traded for, like, a infielder who's no longer part of the league from the Cardinal system, then released by the Rangers, then released, picked up by the Mariners, released by the Mariners, picked up by the Cubs. He has 21 home runs in 266 plate appearances. He is probably, and this is, this is wild to me, he is probably going to set a Cubs franchise record for home runs by a rookie this season. That record is currently held by Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant set that record in 2015 when he hit 26 home runs and 650 plate appearances. Patrick Wisdom is on pace to hit 27 home runs and 384 plate appearances. That plays. That is a bat that should have a job somewhere. And the defense is good. His defense at third is, it's not like Nolan Arenado good, but it's good. Um, He's a plus defender. He's not negative on fan graphs or anything. I think that that's interesting. And that's a guy who has a lot to play for, right? And I think that if you see somebody, like if Wilson Contreras comes off the DL, Wilson has one gear. His gear is, I am playing 110 miles per hour. That's it. That's all he does. Doesn't know how to do anything else. He loves hitting against the White Sox. He would love nothing more than to play spoiler and win the Crosstown Classic. You know, the probable pitchers for this series are Keegan Thompson, Alec Mills, and Kyle Hendricks. Those are all pitchers who can, who can play and who can throw. I watched Keegan start uh, Keegan Thompson make his MLB debut in a start against the Dodgers, where he held the Dodgers scoreless for four innings. That's hard. <laughs> That's an yeah. impressive guy. So there are some guys on this team who can that shock is. you a little bit. Will they? Not necessarily. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cubs got swept again. But I think that this is a team that could do some damage if given just the right set of circumstances. And it's a lot of guys who have everything to play for even if the team has nothing left to win. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think, uh, and I think it's, it, I think we take for granted. Or I mean, I, I'll just say, I take for granted, like when you think about, well, first of all, the thing that you said about Patrick wisdom is pretty remarkable um, that what, I guess in a third of the at bats that 
Bryant had in that uh, record was it? I think was it two two hundred ish versus six hundred ish, something like that. Uh, it's about that's... half. It's two eighty oh, versus six fifty. It's almost exactly. Yeah, it's a little bit under. Okay, half. under half. So that's remarkable, and I think that you're right in saying that there's there's more there than I mean, and and getting picked up and and released and picked up and released and traded all that kind of stuff. Um, and I take for granted the fact that these guys are out there, uh, like you said, whether it's on the Cubs or elsewhere. Um, and a guy like Ortega, it might be, you know, maybe, maybe he, he stays with the Cubs in some capacity because um, those are, those are, those are valuable. So I think that the White Sox, um, if I were to make a prediction with this series, um, I think that the combination of the White Sox starting to sort of, um, they, I, they haven't gotten to like resting necessarily, but we are starting to see them, um, and I don't like this, but it seems like they're taking their foot off the gas pedal a little bit uh, in, in some of these, you know, to kind of give guys rest. And that combined with the Cubs having these guys who are really fighting for jobs, fighting for their careers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs took two out of three in this series, or at least at least not getting uh, avoiding a sweep. But it just seems like um, not not really a trap series necessarily, but it seems like a series that uh, that they could take advantage. Yeah, don't our probable pitchers. Uh... I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm go ahead. You nope, you're there? good. No, no, go, 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 go. Oh, uh, I was the, commenting on our pitchers. We got Dallas Keuchel, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease. Um, probably Dallas Keuchel has been probably the most controversial pitcher late, lately. Uh, a lot of the times, uh, a lot of folks don't have confidence in Keuchel past the fifth inning, especially third time through the order. Uh, but we've noticed lately he's getting roughed up early in starts. Uh, so uh, tomorrow's game, I, 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 I if the, if the Cubs were, were to win at least one game, uh, tomorrow's game is, is going to be the likely one, I feel. Yeah, I think that, you know, like I said, I I would not be surprised if this Cubs team loses all of these games. I mean, they they did just have a 12-game losing streak and a 14-game home losing streak or whatever. Or maybe it was 13. Maybe they stopped it before it hit 14. I don't even know. They've had, This is the only season in Cubs history where they have had two streaks, two losing streaks of 11-plus games in the same season, which when you think about all the bad Cubs teams in history, that's pretty remarkable. So it is possible that they go on another one of those and they started off with the White Sox and that wouldn't surprise me at all. But every now and again, when I watch this team play and they're stringing some hits together and they're making plays, it reminds me that, you know, what what you said about a trap series is something that teams at the top need to keep in mind. There are a lot of guys here who this this little period, this last month and a week of baseball is the best chance they are ever going to get to make an argument that they belong on a major league squad. And all of them have a lot of heart. And I think that they're going to make that argument as strong as they can. So I wouldn't look past this series if I were the White Sox. Definitely not. Uh, and I yeah. also think that just thinking about the like individual players that, uh, yeah, a lot of them are just guys that are uh, getting their first shots at being at the major leagues. And I, and I love hearing stories like that. So uh, earlier this year, even, I mean, we've talked about your name Mercedes before and how like remarkable of a story that was. Uh, so uh, just thinking about a lot of these individuals and uh, just the uh, remarkable efforts we've seen uh, out of those guys, uh, that that's certainly something to watch for. Totally. Um, I, you know, I'll just be hoping the Cubs don't embarrass themselves. And frankly, the White Sox are one of my three favorite teams who will probably make the playoffs. So I'm not wishing any bad things for the White Sox at all. If y'all win, good stuff. Well, you guys, I'll tell you this. You're going to win tomorrow night because Dallas Keuchel is pitching. I don't know. I, I, eh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, um, if, if the Cubs are looking to boost their numbers against left-handed pitchers, tomorrow night is the night to do it. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> We've been pretty down on Dallas Keuchel here on this on this the North side uh, Sox podcast, or just really a lot of Sox fans. I think the most annoying thing with him is that he was like the first person to say when he got here, like, you know, these, I'm going to teach these guys how to win. There was a lot of teaching that needed to happen, a lot of learning that needed to happen. And then, you know, he was, he was good last season, but this season he's kind of been largely disappointing. Um, and just every, everyone in, on the staff is just significantly better than him. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> now Keiko going to be the only guy to get a win in this series, just because y'all are so down on him. He's going to go throw a complete game. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> Keiko's the, the guy who's going to no hit the Cubs. 
I think uh, I, I think we we definitely have seen enough hubris from Dallas Keuchel uh, as uh, already, uh, but perhaps you know maybe some justified hubris is perhaps due at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, that is pretty much all the time that we have for today. Uh, so you have you have been listening to the Northside Sox podcast with our wonderful guest Sarah Sanchez from Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, so Sarah, um, before we leave today, uh, Jen. Anything uh, that you've been working on lately that you'd like to promote? Yeah, I've been doing some work on um, rookie stuff. I just had a piece come up at Fangraphs last week looking at the rookie of the year race. I have one dropping at BCB tomorrow looking specific, more specifically at why Patrick Wisdom is probably not going to be the rookie of the year, but we'll get some votes anyway. I think that if, you, if you've been listening to Cubs games recently, you know, they're looking for any happy story they can tell you. So they talk about Patrick Wisdom's rookie of the year possibilities a lot. And while I think he has a fascinating case, I don't think um, his prodigious home run rate is going to get him to the top of a ballot that should probably have Jonathan India and Trevor Rogers at the top of it, but he may get some votes and that'll be fun. Um, so those are the things I'm working on at the moment. And then of course, uh, if you are a, a Sox fan who does not mind listening to some Cubs heavy content, please check out the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast that I co-host with Andy Cruz Vanisek. It is a wonderful podcast, I do have to say. Uh, as someone who is not a Cubs fan, but just appreciates baseball in general, I, I just love the way that you two approach things. Um, uh, and you also had me on last season, too, to uh, vent about the White Sox in the, the last stretch of that shortened 2020 season. So uh, that was such a fun episode. I really enjoyed talking to you uh, and, and Andy as well. Uh, and also, too, I've enjoyed talking to you today and, and always. I, I just like talking to you in general, Sarah. But uh, anyway, awesome. uh, thanks so much. <laughs> anyway, thanks again uh, so much for joining us here today. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm Janice Scurio. You can follow me at Scuriosa, S-C-U-R-I-I-O-S-A. You can follow Northside Sox podcast at Northside Sox pod. And of course, too, uh, you can follow our mothership, Southside Sox at, guess what? The handle on that is Southside Sox. Uh, anyway, uh, go, go White Sox. Why not go Cubs too? Uh, we're all friends here. Uh, but anyway, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you.